0: Well, it was 1939, 1939, and uh, I can't say the word, cinema, movie cinema films uh, were completely shifted and changed. And uh, this wasn't the first movie to have the technology, but it was one of the first, but it was the first one that actually had the impact uh, that has lasted the test of time. And I remember as a kid growing up watching this movie, and I couldn't wait for the shift to take place in this movie. I couldn't wait for that moment to happen and now my 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 kids, I, I watched them make this shift. Some of you know what movie I'm I'm talking about, but, but instead of me just telling you it, I thought we just kind of experience it together again, the shift. Okay, ready? Let's watch the shift. do you just want to keep watching it? I, I, you're welcome, because now I know what you're doing this afternoon. You're going to pull it up. You're going to go back. I mean, that moment from black and white to color, right? I mean, just I just remember as a kid, just, like I would get to that point over and over again. Just couldn't wait to get to Munchkinland. You know, I just was so excited, that feeling that it would bring me. It was. Just, it, was it was just this feeling of happiness, this, this feeling of joy, and that shift from black and white to color is, is what the whole book of Philippians is about, is the idea of a shift from seeing the world from the perspective of black and white and gray, the shadows, to opening up to a different perspective, a different view, a different lens, a different color, the colors of joy that can only be found through Jesus Christ. And when we think about the colors of joy, like when we get to the point where we actually bow down and humble ourselves to him, it literally is a shift. he, He literally shifts us in how we see things, how we see ourselves, how we see others. And how we see the world. And that's the theme of the book of Philippians. Uh, There are so many different books that have written about the book of Philippians. Different commentaries and just books about the book of Philippians. And most of the titles have some word, have this different phrase, but have joy within the phrasing of the book of of the book of Philippians. There are some commentators that say if you want to master joy in your life, then master the book of Philippians. If you want to master j- joy living out in your life, then just master the book of Philippians and what it says and what it's about, and man, you will uh, you will find it. Uh, so what we're going to do as we kick off this new year is we're going to dissect this book. We're going to literally devour this book with the intent to help us not have a perspective in view that's dark and gray and black and white but we want to change and shift our perspective to the colors of joy that can be offered only through Jesus and come on you know whether you're a Jesus follower or or not you're here for a reason and I just you know what better way to start off the new year than to make sure that we're tapping into the joy that can be only found and complete through Jesus so but but before we dive into this uh, series before we dive into this book I just want to pray for you and myself okay God Thanks for getting us here. None of us are in this room by accident. So seriously, help us not to miss it. Help us to stay alert. I know sometimes with a 25-minute talk, it can be like, you know, you can go in and out. And so um, I just ask that people would be focused at the points that they're supposed to be focused. uh, And so that your your word would speak and you'd get me out of the way and control my energy and my pace and uh, everything that you've uh, helped me see this week through this text. And I thank you that your text, your your scriptures are alive and living, and we pray this in the power of your son's name, Jesus, and everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it up to the book of Philippians, the book of Philippians right there in the New Testament. I'm going to give you some background. There's a lot to kind of set up, so I'll give you kind of a cliff note version of some of the key things to help you understand the context from which this was written. Uh, This was written by a man named Paul, who wrote 12 other books in the New Testament, so Uh, popular guy, Paul, and uh, as he was writing this, he had a companion with him, a mentee named Timothy, who was going on the journey with Paul. Um, Timothy was saved around the age of 15, and when we think about a shift in someone's life from seeing a new perspective from black and white to color, uh, Paul had a major shift in his life. Uh, If you didn't know, Paul was a church hunter. He despised people that believed in Jesus. So much so that in the book of Acts, it tells how he would literally drag people out of their houses so that they would be put into prison. Um, He was a legalistic Pharisee and just, you know, again, causing havoc on the church. So, uh, but that didn't last. Uh, We're told in the book of Acts how as he was on his journey uh, on the road of Damascus that God literally came to him and literally shifted his life so much so the brightness of God overwhelmed him that it made him go blind for a period of time but then when he opened up his eyes his eyes literally didn't just open up his life was opened up to a whole new world a whole new perspective not of black and white and gray and the shadows but of the color of God the colors of joy that was now in his life something shifted in him something happened to him and in him And so once he surrendered his life to Jesus and he was seeing the world through a whole new perspective, he couldn't shut up. But not just about anything. He couldn't shut up about Jesus. He wanted everyone to start seeing the world in the way that he was seeing the world. He wanted everyone to experience the color of joy that he was feeling and being fulfilled in his own life. And so he wouldn't shut up about it, so much so that now the people that he was putting into prison, he's now in prison too. They were putting him in prison after prison after prison. The government was trying to get him to shut up, and he wouldn't shut up. And so prison after prison, Paul would go on and as he would go around the region, planting church after church after church. Now, why would he write the letter to the Philippian church? Why would he do that? So here's kind of a reason why he wrote the letter. Now, Paul planted the church of Philippi. Remember this. So Paul planted the church of Philippi around 50 A.D. is when he planted, they said, scholars believe, around 50 A.D. is when he planted the Philippian church. And he didn't really want to go there. Uh, On his second missionary journey, as we read through Acts, on his second missionary journey, the Spirit of the Lord kept stopping him from going where he wanted to go. To eventually leading him to go to Macedonia. And in the Macedonian region, the the biggest city there was Philippi. Philippi. And it didn't start off good. Uh, it, it didn't have kind of the, you know, the, the launch that uh, he was expecting. And uh, the, there's only two recorded mentions of people who were converted who put their faith in Jesus. There was the mentioning of a, 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 su- a successful businesswoman named Lydia. Uh, and also the Philippian jailer. While he was in jail, an earthquake happened, and all the the doors started opening, and the prisoners were escaping, so the Philippian jailer knew that he'd be killed because of it, so he was going to kill himself, and Paul stopped him and then shared with him Jesus, and then he put his faith in Jesus. And so there's these two converts. It was a slow start. So then he leaves, and we're thinking around 10 to 12 years later, between 60 and 62 AD, Paul is now in a Roman prison, And while he's in jail, the Philippian church over those 10 to 12 years was growing. It started to thrive. It started to gain momentum. And they loved Paul because Paul brought them the word. And so they wanted to help Paul and so they would bring him gifts. And so um, they would have different people travel to help, you know, give him supplies, give him gifts as he survived this house arrest, being chained in prison. And so this letter was a letter of thankfulness to the Philippian church. Thank you for your support. But not only was it a letter of thankfulness, it was a warning against false teaching, it was an encouragement as they were dealing with um, persecution because of their faith in Jesus, and also was an encouragement to fight for unity amongst the church. And so that is why Paul wrote the book of Philippians, God Inspired, and it is now for us to use to help inspire us and encourage us. And we'll see all throughout this letter, joy, just literally dripping with joy off of the letters of this book. So, Philippians chapter 1, there's the context. Hope you picked out some of those things that I said. Just remember as we're reading this, Paul's in jail. Paul's in prison. Try to picture that as we read through this. So, turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready? Because I'm ready. All right, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So this was his introduction to the letter. And we just have to stop here for a moment because there's two titles that I highlighted here that, you know, are kind of shocking and stick out a little bit. Because when you first read this, you think, Paul and Timothy, servants, it doesn't seem like he starts out with this joyful, you know, expression. Like, I mean, we're slaves. I mean, slaves is kind of this, you know, this, this word servant in the Greek language is doulos, which comes from the word slave. This is a shocking title that he would give himself. He gave himself this title before. But, I mean, Paul's becoming a very influential leader, and he's known as an apostle, but he gives himself the title slave. But who wants to be called a Slave. I mean, we know that slavery, when we think about slavery, it's not joyful. It's horrific. It's not a good thing. When we go back in time and we think about slavery, when we think about God's people, the Israelite nation that dealt with slavery for 400 years, 400 years they were oppressed in slavery by an evil pharaoh, that's not really good, right? We don't think joyful thoughts. What about the transatlantic slave trade that happened from 1526 to 1867? There's an estimated 12.5 million slaves that were transported from Africa all around the world, and yes, right here in the United States of America. And we know, we've read the history, we've watched the movies of how horrific racism and how our African black brothers and sisters were treated. But now, here we are today in 2022, and the world of slavery is still going on. But it's not bound by a color. It's not bound by a race. It's in every shadow, in every tribe, in every nation. There is an estimation, this is is really sick, that there are 45 million plus people that are in some form of slavery, today. But it just looks a little different. Through forced labor or sex trafficking by evil hearted people taking advantage of the most vulnerable. And it's everywhere. It's all around us. It's here in Detroit. And with a room like this, you know, my hope, my guess is that none of you are dealing with this type of slavery. But maybe there are or those that will listen online or through the podcast, you are dealing with that, and you are in bondage as a slave. And if you are, if there is any way that we can help, and you can reach out to us to get you out of that slavery, we will do whatever we can to help you get out of that bondage that you should not be in. So, What's interesting about the word slavery, we know how awful this is. I mean, who on earth wants to be called a slave? And Paul calls himself a slave. But as I process this, I was reminded, the Spirit reminded me, that all of us are slaves. Repeat after me, I'm a slave. I'm a slave. It doesn't sound good. It doesn't feel good. No one wants to be a slave, but the truth is, if you didn't know, you're a slave. Every single one of us have a master that we bow down to. Interesting thing is, when it comes to this type of slavery, you get to choose who your master is. Some of you are a slave to money. Some of you are a slave to fame. Some of you are a slave to popularity. Some of you are a slave to a drug. Some of you are a slave to sex. Some of you are a slave to pornography. Some of you are a slave to yourself, pride. And those masters that are mastering over you, own you. Sadly, they give you your worth. But will always leave you wanting more. And in the end, it will all burn up. However, Paul is talking about a different kind of slave. What does he say? We are servants. We are slaves of Christ Jesus. This is a different kind of master that, if you allow it, it will give you life, will actually give you your worth, will give you privilege like no other. And if you allow it, he will own you, he will adopt you, he will call you his children. He's a master that's worth bowing down to. He's a master. Worth giving your allegiance to. Who will in the end allow you, it says, to reign and rule with him in paradise. Isn't this interesting? The word slave, the only way the slave word becomes not a negative but a positive is when the master is Jesus. The only way that he redeems the word slave He redeems the word slave. He takes it from a black and white gray shadow word to a word laced with joy like no other to be a slave of Christ, to make him our master is a game changer. But there's another title in here. Not only does he talk about being a slave, but then he talks about being a saint. When you think about the word saint, what picture comes into your mind? Like when you think about saints, I don't know, maybe for you, maybe you start thinking about like, like, a, like an image like this. Oh, I'm a saint. So this was kind of fun. I did some of this research, this is, some of you guys are going to be bored by this, so you'll be really interested. I was interested in this. This was interesting. Okay, saints. This girl is called St. Claire of Assisi. Now, in the Catholic Church, they deem specific people saints. There's sainthood. And if you're raised in the Catholic Church or you're Catholic, maybe you you, you might know some of this, right? So this is the idea that uh, if, if the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican, a pope declares you a saint, if you are martyred because of your belief in Jesus, you will automatically become a saint. But if you aren't martyred and you want to become a saint, there is a massive process. There's a council that the pope, through years after you've been dead, will then declare you. It's called canonizing, a canonization of your life, to declare you a saint. You're called, these are called patron saints. And what's really crazy and interesting is there are over 10,000 plus patron saints who are recognized in the Catholic Church. And they cover almost everything you can possibly think of that will cover over a specific area. So, for instance, there's St. Raphael. And St. Raphael is this patron saint over matchmaking. So, for all you singles out there, (laughs) St. Raphael is your guy. Now, hear me clearly. The Catholic Church doesn't tell you to worship these saints, okay? I don't want to make you think. They're not telling you to worship, but they say that you can pray to these saints, like intercessory prayers say, hey, from a friend to a friend, St. Raphael, if you know you can kind of hook me up, that'd be great kind of a thing, okay? This is, this is what's going on here. Now, St. Anthony, he's the patron saint over pig keeping. So all you that are taking care of pigs... And you're dealing with the mud, St. Anthony's your guy, okay? Now, St. Clair. What, what was St. Clair about? Now, check this out. This is crazy. St. Clair, and remember, she was living in like the 1200s. St. Clair of Assisi was declared the patron saint over television. I know. She wasn't declared a patron saint until like the 1950s by whatever pope that was, I can't remember. This is this legend that back in the 1200s when she was sick, she couldn't go to mass. So it says that she could hear and see the mass on her bedroom wall, the first supernatural TV. So when your TV isn't working and the big game is on, St. Clair is your girl. St. Clair is your girl. So some of you are like, you're, you're welcome. I just gave you information that you've been wanting for a long time. Um, It's a process. In the Vatican, in the Catholic Church, you'll be long dead before you could ever be declared a saint. But there's a better way. You can skip the line and bow down to Jesus, and the moment you bow down to Jesus, he calls you and declares you a saint. You see, when Jesus came, he wasn't interested in canonizing the dead. He was interested in recognizing the living you want to be a saint, surrender to Jesus and he will declare you and see you as a saint. The word saint in the Greek language is hagios, which is the idea to be holy, to be set apart. And when you allow Jesus to cover your life, to cover your sin, he sets you apart and he makes you holy only because of him. Repeat after me, Jesus follower. I'm a saint. I'm a saint. Say it with me. I'm a saint. Doesn't that feel better than saying you're a slave? I'm a saint. You might not feel like it. I know some of you, you know, you don't act like it. But when you humble yourself to Jesus, to be your master, he no longer sees you through black and white and gray, sinful lens. He sees you through the color of his son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. But so important, you, go to the next one. You can't be recognized as a saint of Christ until you recognize yourself as a slave of Christ. Get that order. You can't be recognized as a saint of Christ until you recognize yourself as a slave of Christ. Who's your master? Who's your master? Verse three. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance for you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When you're feeling down, when you're feeling like you've gotten off track as you're moving towards God, when you feel like you're being a little bit delayed, remember, he, who began a good work not you who began a good work but he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion and then what do we see here paul is literally going down memory lane He's, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. He's thinking of the beginning, probably, of the Philippian church. He's maybe thinking of Lydia. He's maybe thinking of the Philippian jailer and how the word started to multiply and how the church began to grow. And he started to talk about, and as you see in the letter, you just see joy all over this, reminding us of that when we are partnering in the gospel. The work of the gospel. What does the word gospel mean? That means the good news of Jesus. When we are partnering and spreading the good news of Jesus, there is a great joy that comes with partnering in the gospel. The word partnership in the Greek language is this word koinonia, which is the idea of fellowship, sharing, close up. Not from a distance, but close up. Being willing to roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty and help people move towards God. And so here's a question. How will you partner in the gospel in 2022? What does it look like for you? God wants to use you. If you didn't know, God wants to use your gifts. God wants to use you to help share and spread his good news. And it happens in so many different ways. Here within Miles City, outside of Miles City, so many different ways. Through our treasure, through our time, through our talents, through all of it. God wants to use you to partner in the gospel. And when you allow that to happen, I'm telling you, the joy that comes. But before we go to 2022, I know we're here. Let's just, can we just back up for a second into 2021? How did you partner in the gospel in 2021? Like, think about it. Before we go to the next, sit here for a moment. What are some wins that you experienced because you were partnering in the gospel. Because you were, you were engaged in helping share and spread the good news of Jesus. Think about those wins. And think about the fulfillment. The joy that, 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 that comes from that. I mean, I, I think, I look around this room and I see, like, so many different people, how like, God used you. God used your giftings. You stretched yourself. You got out of your comfort zone. And, and it's brought so much joy to my life, like watching it. I mean, I get a front row seat all the time. Or I think about in my coaching groups. So we have these men men and women specific coaching groups. And I think I have two different coaching groups. And I think about the the, the different men and how God just like was stretching their lives and, and how they were shifting the way that they treated their spouse and how they were, you know, using their gifts in different ways that they've never used them before. And it's just like, I'm so proud stepping back, like watching and, and they're challenging me and the fulfillment that that brings is so important. So how will you partner in the gospel in 2022? And if you're sitting here thinking, you know, in 21, there really wasn't much. I can't really think of anything. Then when we're sitting here next year at 23, I don't want you to look back at 2022 and say you you weren't engaged. If you want to feel the fulfillment of the color of joy in your life, get engaged in the partnership of the work of the gospel of spreading the news of Jesus. Verse 7. It is right for me. To feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. Both in my imprisonment, remember he's in jail. And then the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. That you're not just running away, that you're standing up for the truth of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It continues. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He says, keep on going. Keep persevering. I love when he says, may your love abound more and more and more. It's that word agape, that idea of a stretching type of love. I want to see your love increase. I want to see your love get bigger. I want to see your love be stretched like no other. He was reminding them of their calling and to keep reflecting the character of God, keep reflecting the joy that is inside of them to the world. And as they're doing it, preparing for the day of the Lord, because the Lord is coming. And last night, as I reflected on this section of this passage, I couldn't help but, again, think that Paul is writing in prison. He's chained up. Things aren't good for him. But even though he's chained up physically, as we read this, he's not chained up spiritually. He's not chained up mentally. He was free. I mean, to write this thankful, joy-filled letter in the midst of what he was going through, something was different. He had a different perspective. He wasn't looking at the world through an earthly perspective. He was looking at the world through an eternal perspective. He was not allowing his circumstances to get the best of him. Anyone struggle with your circumstances getting the best of you? Yeah, every day, every day. So Paul, let Paul be an encouragement to you. Paul is being an encouragement to me to don't let your circumstances get the best of you. I don't know who said this. I couldn't find it, so maybe I came up with it. I probably didn't. I don't know, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but I couldn't figure out who said it, so we'll just put it up here. Don't get under your circumstances. Get over your circumstances. Don't get under your circumstances get over your circumstances. And I don't mean it like get over it. Like like come on, it's not that bad. I know the pain stinks, but come on, just get over it. You just got to get over it. Think level. Think think in terms of a level. Like don't get under your circumstances that are driving you nuts that are driving you crazy that is so overwhelming. What it's saying is this idea of get out of the weeds. Get out of the weeds and up into the clouds and have a 30,000-foot view of your circumstance. And when you do that, that helps you overcome and get through that circumstance. And I know that's not rocket science, but we got to be reminded of this because as we go through circumstances, I know it doesn't solve the pain. I know it doesn't solve the hurt. I know it still hurts. I know it still is painful. But when we have that 30,000-foot view, it helps us fight. It helps us get up and not let our circumstance bury us or trample on us. We rise above it. We get over that circumstance and see it from here an eternal perspective, an eternal view, not a black and white, gray shadow view, but a color of joy view. Here's a phrase to help you fight this year in 2022 as you are in a circumstance that's bad right now or you're gonna walk into a circumstance that's bad in 22. I hope you'll remember this. And I made it rhyme, and don't make fun of me. I made it rhyme so you'll remember it, okay? This is the phrase. The day of the Lord will be my sword. What do we mean? That when your circumstance is so overwhelming and you want to give up, you're going to fight with this phrase. The day of the Lord will be my sword. The day of the Lord, meaning, what does that mean? He says it twice in this section. The day of the Lord. God has a schedule. Did you know that? He God has a schedule. He has an ending to all of this. And that's the day of the Lord when Jesus will return. And he's not wondering, well, when is it going to happen? He's got it circled. He knows when it's going to happen. And everything that's happening is leading up to this day. The day of the Lord will come. And when he comes, he's going to take all the slaves who called Jesus their master, all of the saints will then rule and reign in paradise with him. The day of the Lord will be my sword. The day of the Lord will be my sword. Would you say that with me? The day of the Lord will be my sword. A little louder. The day of the Lord will be my sword. I need your help with this. So when your world is feeling gray, let the day of the Lord be my sword. You keep saying it with me. When you feel like you've failed as a parent again, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When your addiction has got the best of you again and it wants to bury you, you're going to shout, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When the grief of losing a loved one seems too heavy to bear that day, you're going to shout, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When you feel like giving up on your marriage and and the enemy wants you to stop but God's telling you to persevere, you're going to shout, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When you feel like you have no purpose, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When you feel overwhelmed by work, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When you feel anxiety when you turn on the news, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When you feel like you're losing your freedoms, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see anymore, the day of the Lord will be my sword. When you feel exhausted by fighting this disease that's so painful for you, the day of the Lord will be my sword because you are a saint the day of the Lord will be my sword but remember you can't be a saint until you're willing to call yourself a slave and your master Jesus and so if you haven't done that yet and you're done having the world be your master if you're done feeling enslaved and in bondage by the things of the world maybe you're maybe you've bowed down to the master of muhammad a false god or buddha or i don't know whatever it is for you but you know it's not working and you're done with it and you want to bow down to jesus and make him your master i don't want to give you that opportunity right now and so would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me and if that's you you just say, Travis, that's what I want. I, I am done bowing down to the things of the world, and I want to bow down to Jesus, eternal. I want this joy that Paul is talking about and has. I want this joy for my life. I want that security of my destiny, of my paradise, of my eternity. The scriptures say that all who call upon the name of the Lord and believe in their heart that you will be saved from the penalty of your sin of all your past, of all your wickedness. He's the one that can do it. It's not anything that you can do. You can't earn it. It's simply through belief. So if you want to receive Jesus today, just repeat this prayer in the quietness of your heart. Just say, Father, I bow down to you. Just say, I bow down to you. Tell him, right now I make you my master. I make you my master. And then say, forgive me of my sin. Just Say, forgive me. And then say this, thank you for dying for me. Just Thank you for dying for me. For paying the penalty of my sin for me. Say that. And then, also, thank you for rising again for me and conquering the grave. Just say, thank you for rising again for me. Maybe you don't understand it all, but... Just thank him for rising again. And then right now, just say, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, my friend, if you truly meant that, then the scripture guarantees that you will no longer perish, but now you will have everlasting life. In your eternity, you will reign and rule with our great God because you are now a saint receive it you're a saint embrace it you're a saint declare it I'm a saint I'm a saint Father thank you for allowing us the opportunity to bow down to you, to be slaves of you, Jesus. Thank you that you are our master, that we can lean into and give allegiance to, that we can be owned by you. Thank you that that we can be called saints. Oh God, that, that, that you declare us that, that you set us apart and that you make us holy. Oh God, we thank you for that amazing, amazing gift. We give you the glory and we pray this in the power of your son's name. Amen. Can we just give it up for those who put their faith in Jesus today for the first time? Amen. Amen.